Chapter Twelve, Part One of the Pathway of the Pioneer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pathway of the Pioneer by Dolph Willard. Chapter Twelve, Part One. She walketh veiled and sleeping, for she knoweth not her power. She obeyeth but the pleading of her heart and the high leading of her soul unto this hour. Slow advancing, limping, creeping, comes the woman to the hour she walketh veiled and sleeping for she knoweth not her power anonymous if it is not good for man to live alone it is hardly more so for woman magda knew this from the vein of shrewd common sense that leavened the artistry of her nature and took her friend deb into partnership alma knew it also and when she was on tour would share with another girl both from motives of economy and sociability unless the crowd were of the quality which beatrice had sampled at the stage door frank had her mother and winnie had lived in boarding-houses but flair and beatrice the most morbid-minded of the group indulged in solitude and degenerated in their manners flair always forgot to pass the butter at meals and slipped easily into the habit of reaching across the table for anything she wanted beatrice read while she ate and spoiled her digestion while her tendency to unpunctuality made terrible strides because there was no one to consider but herself and if she were at school at the appointed time her home obligations were nil but it is to be doubted whether the drawback of being by oneself were in any wise bettered by the alternative of such a household as hilda romaine's hilda's life had a break in it to her own imagination so that she saw it in two parts the first which was all white bridged over to the second which was all black by the day when she came home from school to find that her father had married again while she remained in ignorance her own mother she had never known but it was hardly wonderful that mr romaine had concealed his second marriage from hilda until it was an accomplished fact for he was a weak man and could as little face the beautiful set mask of his tall young daughter as he could resist the vulgar passionate woman who had married him she had been one of the showroom young ladies in a large west end house and retained a certain taste in dress that she called stylish and that intensified the stamp of ill-breeding upon her hilda did not go back to school again she remained at home to watch her father go slowly downhill and to learn to keep a terrible silence through her stepmother's fits of ungovernable temper the remainder of the household including the quickly recurring children who seemed to hilda to punctuate her teens were cowed by mrs romaine as the worst-tempered person in a family will to some extent always wear down the more peace-loving but hilda was never cowed though as a rule she kept silence sometimes at rare intervals her own passion flared up in a flame that transcended mrs romaine's more noisy methods and left that lady with a virtuous sense of her own meekness compared with the threatening face which hilda carried in her furies well i'm glad at least that i have some control i should be frightened to have a temper like hilda's she declared proudly if one of my daughters showed signs of such another i don't know what i should do the house wouldn't hold us all on an average however hilda's curled lips were only a little closer pressed together during her stepmother's outpourings 
and there was more of scornful irony in her blue eyes than an equal rancor she did not openly quarrel with the woman for her weak-minded father's sake she never had from that first awful return when she found her installed as mistress of the house and she was on easy terms with her stepsisters who however were too far removed from her in age to be either companions or confidants it was not only in social status that mr romaine appeared to deteriorate after his second marriage his means always moderate became involved through her love of display or what she termed keeping a good showy house and before she was twenty hilda saw things become so desperate that she looked about for work in the little leisure left her from trying to supplement the inefficient service of the slovenly household she had a fair knowledge of the violin and at first she tried for pupils with the usual disheartening result and then she thought of the concert stage but the agents flatly told her that she might wait for years before she got engagements and her need was pressing hilda was by no means a genius she had a reasonable amount of practical knowledge and a love for music that was perhaps a talent in itself at any rate it gave her the perseverance to try to play well whatever she attempted and the long patience of her work for eight or nine years was its own reward in a gradual mastery of her instrument she was at least a great deal too good a player for the work she found though she might be no soloist the same agents who had refused her concert work offered her the position of second violin in a lady's orchestra and hilda took it thankfully and earned her first guinea by no means with ease for her companions were as little to her taste as her home circle she had played in many ladies orchestras since then and had seen as many ups and downs as the rest of news ultra the most awful period in her memory being a bitter three months when ill-luck forced her to join a quartet who were engaged during the season in a tea-shop the other girls were jealous of hilda because of her face and the attention she unwillingly received from the young men who thronged the tables and stared at her through clouds of foul tobacco news ultra used to rally round her in those days to mitigate her discomfort and had tea so often at the shop that they became known as habitués more than the clerks and shop-girls of the neighbourhood it was a period that did not bear thinking over even when it was thankfully past and was not rendered sweeter by her stepmother's railing taunts and unvarnished criticism mrs romaine quite agreed in hilda's working for her right to exist in an uncomfortable home but she never lost an opportunity to sully the pride that she suspected by comments on the means to that end hilda struggled free of the tea-shop after a while with two proposals to add to her education one was from the manager of the place the other from a boy in an office counting-house near by whose wooing was conducted through the giggles of the other girls they being privy to his suit and assisting it by nudges and innuendos to the best of their power fortunately for herself hilda was so tall that her storm-flushed face was easily lifted over his head but the grave greek beauty grew shadowed with a look as of tragedy while the years passed on each with its burden making the likeness to the casts in the british museum more defined 
the second trial of hilda's professional career was another series of bad chances that landed her at last at an exhibition with a self-styled troupe of italians whose cockney accents and watery eyes betrayed a native right to billingsgate rather than venice hilda wore a red scarf over her bright hair and looked divine but even the agent who got her the engagement was apologetic and the very first good thing he heard of he honestly placed in hilda's way this was the ladies catgut band in which she had played for ten months and whose conductor vented his hurt vanity upon her on the evening of beatrice's burial his fancy was really taken with hilda's face and his heart piqued by her indifference but he was one of a long series of wearisome aspirants to her favour from whom the girl turned with disillusioned eyes hilda had always received attention if merely of the turning of heads as she passed and the succession of men who had gone a step beyond and contrived to express their admiration in words she regarded as very little less than actual drawbacks in existence i am very strong she had once said and so she was tenacious both of life and of some better fate for herself than what she had been offered or she must long since have grown disheartened and drifted into a married life on as low a plane as her father's she never met men with whom she cared to associate those visiting the house being naturally her stepmother's friends and her companions of her own sex were nous autres. the only occasions on which she saw a better or more educated class were those when the ladies catgut band was engaged to play for some soiree or a big party at a private house the position was not exactly desirable because the guests with questionable manners would come and stare at the performers quite as rudely as the customers in the tea-shop had done but they interested hilda from an impersonal point of view nevertheless when even the other girls grew indignant she could afford to laugh something ludicrous in the position striking her irresistibly hilda's grim sense of humour had made life tolerable when a duller nature would have been goaded past bearing they behave as if we were wild beasts i saw one woman look at you put up her eyeglasses and say quite pretty as though you were a doll and could not hear said the leader of the first violins to hilda red with wrath as they compared notes during the interval which divided the programme in two halves if they think we are waxworks they ought to pay quoted hilda but perhaps she really meant it well i should think she did the first violin was a partisan of hilda's but you do take it coolly i should be furious if i were you the idea of their daring to tell you you are quite pretty to your face and it comes to that my dear i care so little what they say that even their bad manners do not shock me said hilda with a little sigh are we going to play the julian thorson to-night i don't understand you miss romaine said the other girl staring with round eyes and speaking quite honestly i have seen you go suddenly red when the conductor was cheeky to you as if you would like to kill him perhaps i should but think how foolish that would be we should all lose our engagements and he would never understand what he had done no not even when he was dead and after all when he is tapping round the music-stand with his baton he is all right and yet you don't mind these strangers in the least went on the girl not heeding hilda's nonsense 
but in either case you are quite consoled if we play that cavatina of thorson's thorson happens to be my favourite english composer said hilda gently i love his harmonies so much that i can even afford to be angelic to the rest of the world when listening to them i always fancy that we should be friends if we met you'd be awfully disappointed said the first violin screwing the d-string to a dangerous sharpness i hear he is quite elderly and not at all english really his father was swedish i think lend me your rosin will you this bow won't bite hilda leaned across the empty seat dividing the first and second violins and handed the girl her rosin the conductor had already fled to refresh himself and be congratulated on the performance of the girls whom he had left with selfish indifference hungry and tired and waiting for their release sometimes it had happened that owing to an ill-managed concert or some muddle of the arrangements in private houses the ladies band never left the platform at all though they had twenty minutes rest half-way through the evening but it had never happened in the memory of any player that the conductor had been in like case hilda heard the second violins grumbling behind her but she was not personally so keen upon the weak lemonade and flabby sandwiches which she knew would be her portion in the cloak-room or a draughty passage behind the scenes she sat on the conductor's immediate right as leader and could talk to her vis-a-vis the first violin while he was out of the way furthermore she was thinking of the music they were to play more than of her own appetite for she loved her work and all the desirable things of life to her were best expressed in her violin one of the attractions to her of the cavatina was that it was played with the mutes as if afar off and suggested all sorts of beautiful images to her mind girls in warm-coloured silks playing at ball in a marble court the exquisite rich architecture of an eastern palace lifting the blue sky tent-like on its pinnacles liquid sunset backing a tropical sea all the ornaments of this hard brown earth that mean visual beauty for the which her soul longed she would really have liked to ask the composer what he had thought about as he drew the refrain from the grieving strings hilda enjoyed the semi-artistic evenings most where the ladies band had something amusing to look at as well as being looked at in their turn nothing is more motley than a representative gathering of talented people and hilda's easily tickled mirth made her shake with silent laughter over some of the men and women who were pointed out to her as lions they dressed it seemed to her in anything or everything inappropriate and mostly soiled and they gabbled to each other like parrots or monkeys now and then one saw a beautiful face or an exquisite gown but how rarely the notorieties seemed on the whole content to clothe themselves in fame if flair or magda or alma ever succeeds we must be very careful with them at once and crush any tendency in them to dirty draperies said hilda firmly to herself there's a woman with a gilt laurel wreath and her gown wrongly laced at the back i hope flair will not try to wear a laurel wreath even in her coffin it was at one of these gatherings that hilda realized her desire and saw her favourite composer in the flesh 
julian tharson was really a great man in his profession and the principal guest at the evening function to which the ladies catgut band were contributing sweet harmony from a jungle of palms and greenery exceedingly trying to the performers for hilda's bow-hand was in danger of becoming entangled in a trail of smilax with every scherzo passage while on the other side of the conductor's seat the leader of the first violins sat in a bower of greenery out of which her poor little face struggled vainly to see what she was playing but the effect was very picturesque and the hostess a lady of some musical taste was perfectly satisfied so long as mr julian thorson did not draw his brows together with the expression of anguish that made conductors tremble when he audienced one of his own compositions the whole affair put hilda in mind of a ludicrous incident in nicholas nickleby where the entire company in a provincial theatre recognize a london manager in the stage-box and immediately begin to direct all their energies at him the hero made love at him the heroine played her whole part at him all the company neglected the exigencies of their positions and spoke simply to him in the midst of which it was discovered that the london manager was fast asleep hilda wondered whether mr thorson would reward their efforts in the same way for she was conscious that the entertainment was being run on something the same lines as dickens provincial theatre the pieces chosen were those whose composers were known to be favourites of the great man and the programme was abruptly altered in order that the cavatina might be introduced while he was still within hearing with the corners of her mouth twitching hilda pushed aside a rampant fern in order that she might see what effect the last item sullivan's graceful dance had had upon him he was standing in profile to her being talked to by his hostess to whom he appeared to be gravely assenting at intervals but hardly contributing to the conversation himself there was rather a contemplative air about him and she thought that perhaps he really had been listening to the sullivan before his hostess began to speak in spite of the first violin's warning hilda was not disappointed in her hero for which rarest benefit of the gods she ought to have offered a special thanksgiving julian thorson was a very tall man with square shoulders his hair was grey and thick and was long enough to wave without being unkempt a great improvement on most of the male lions prowling around him he wore an eyeglass on a black ribbon with which he played as if the nervous trick were habitual to him and for the rest he had a broad generous forehead and deeply set eyes which held the loving-kindness peculiar to short-sighted people when he slowly turned towards the band following some remark of his hostess hilda saw and liked the rather massive jaw and clean-shaven mouth there was none of the sensuality usually to be discerned in the face of genius but a great sensitiveness perhaps took its place and made his contemplative regard of humanity somewhat paternal in its very gentleness she judged him as a man nearer sixty than fifty and was quite satisfied to have it so a minute later the conductor rather impressively placed the cavatina on the stand and began tapping round with the baton as hilda had too faithfully described his method of conducting he frowned at the ladies of his band 
who were still talking to each other under breath, rapped the music, and with an exaggerated gesture started the first soft notes of Mr. Thorson's melody. Hilda could not see how the composer received the compliment, for her severely perfect profile was turned to the audience while she drew her bow clear of the palms, and as she bent above her violin her whole soul became absorbed in the music, to the exclusion of any external distraction. Owing to the necessity of the band being seated, it was impossible for her to look down and distinguish any one in particular among the muddle of faces and gowns and black coats grouped irregularly in front of the platform. Yet through it all she had a certain strange feeling that she was playing solely for Mr. Thorson, and a little thrill of excitement made her young body tingle. The Cavatina's principal air was arranged with an unusual preference for the second violins, and Hilda at least threw her whole soul into it, playing her best for the quickening interest which possessed her. She was singularly unconscious for a beautiful woman, or rather she had grown so used to the impression she created that she seldom thought about it unless it was forced upon her notice. During the playing of the Cavatina, certainly she never remembered that she was more evident to Julian Thorson than he was to her, nor did it strike her that as he stood facing the whole band it was most likely that his eyes would be attracted to her face amongst all the others, as mankind always does search for and dwell upon the most pleasing object within sight, though by a partially mechanical impulse. The last few bars of a really creditable performance were making the conductor swell with pride before Hilda Romaine turned her head and met the full kind gaze of the composer, experiencing a little shock of pleasure and surprise, for it was like meeting the eyes of a friend. Could you tell me who is leading the second violins? said Mr. Thorson quietly to his hostess. I really don't know. She turned her program to the list of names. Miss Romaine, Miss Lyle, and Miss Thornton, second violins. There, Mr. Thorson, you are as wise as I am. A very fair rendering, was it not? I hope the second violins did not spoil something to your finer ears. To me it sounded quite lovely, but I have no doubt it was full of faults to the composer. Not at all, thank you, he said in the same quiet tone. I have seldom heard it better rendered. I should like to thank the conductor. Oh, certainly. But not only the conductor was called up, swelling with a satisfaction that might have suggested the cavatina to be his own rather than mr thorson's but the composer managed to speak a few words of courteous thanks to the ladies of the orchestra also and in consequence they somehow felt themselves obliged to step down from the platform and receive his congratulation he addressed them generally it is true but then he made a remark more particularly to the first violin, and left her forever converted to his worship, whether he were of Swedish birth or no, for he had a very charming manner, and then, then, somehow he was standing next to the tall girl, whose name he had inquired, and turned quite naturally to speak to her also. I am afraid you must be very tired by the end of the entertainment, he said gently. Not more than other orchestras, I fancy. Hilda returned with a little low laugh that was half cynical. We usually arrive with the ices and go away with the red cloth, 
but i am thankful to say that i have never actually seen the red cloth laid so there is something for which to be thankful he looked at her with an intentness that she would have resented in nine men out of ten and may i not get you some refreshment now he said easily if you have been playing for three or four hours oh no thank you she said hurriedly shocked that her dry little speech should have resulted in this we shall go out and have some lemonade some time i expect there is generally one interval longer than the rest during which the orchestra refreshes he did not press the matter but stood talking to the first violin and to hilda herself in a desultory fashion swinging his eyeglass on its black ribbon and perhaps his notice had this much effect that the hostess remembered the existence of the orchestra as human beings and not mere machines for soon after they were trooped off and regaled by themselves as if they were in some sort social lepers who might not mix with the rest of the guests hilda caught sight of mr thorson at intervals throughout the night now the centre of a group now chatting to a single person who was important enough to engross his whole attention and she always found his manner charming even viewed at a distance once also towards the end of the performance she met his eyes again and they looked at each other with a kind of impersonal sympathy that made her feel as if she had gained a friend though she never expected to do more than pass him in a crowd on some future occasion perhaps not even that their second meeting was as unexpected as magda's experience of her editor hilda was walking fast along oxford street a week or so later on her way home after a wearisome rehearsal when she suddenly found herself in the centre of a street accident there was a horse down and the hope that some one was hurt had gathered the spectators so quickly and so fast that before she could push her way through the girl felt herself jostled into the thick of it and jammed against other foot passengers without being able to help herself the gentleman next to her pressed with her shoulder to shoulder might be as anxious to proceed as herself but for the moment neither could help the other and looking round to apologize hilda found her eyes caught by a familiar face and a big grey head somewhere above her own it was julian thorson but she thought he was less likely to recognize her than she him i am so sorry that i can't move but the stout lady behind me is butting me towards you i think she said gravely it is really not my fault that i am in your way he began in the same breath but waited for her sentence and then laughed as their eyes met hilda hesitated and said i think it is mr thorson and i know it is the second violin in the lady's band who rendered my cavatina so perfectly he said easily i was quicker at recognizing you than you were me you see though i never learned your name hilda smiled her wise little smile holding her head back from its proximity to his shoulder while the stout woman behind her prodded her way vigorously and forced them into each other's arms with embarrassing success what is your name said mr thorson a little desperately at last as she did not seem inclined to enlighten him are you miss romaine or miss lyle or miss thornton i am hilda romaine said hilda and feeling the crowd loosen set her shoulder to an opening and sidled through while he followed as quickly as his bigger bulk would allow 
i want you to come into a tea-shop and have tea with me he said at once as they mechanically fell into step along the pavement i cannot talk to you so well in the street and i am very anxious to ask you some questions it struck me that you had such complete mastery of your instrument the other night that your talents are a little obscured in a lady's band isn't that so i am obliged to accept whatever position i can that will earn me my living you see said hilda plainly she was hesitating over the tea-shop but only from habit here was a man nearly as old as her father a gentleman one whose influence in musical circles must be enormous and who could help her if he would she looked at the deeply set dark eyes and spoke quietly if you are really interested i will tell you anything i can about the position and remuneration in a lady's band of course there are many grades though i really believe that i have tried them all now but i warn you that it will not be an exciting or exhilarating account rather depressing i should think by all i know and saw the other night he amended holding back the swing-glass door of a tea-shop for her to pass in this will do won't it there is a nice red plush corner for you and all sorts of stale cakes if i had only foreseen that i should meet you i would have arranged for something better he screwed the eyeglass into his eye and regarded the entertainment offered with a silent distrust that said it was certainly not good enough for his guest hilda laughed her little satirical laugh as she took up the fare bill her eyes were lowered but he saw the warmly tinted greek face and the bright well-groomed hair against the sordid red plush and gilding of the place behind hilda a long mirror duplicated her and offered another view of her bent head and sloping shoulders mr thorson was probably very short-sighted indeed in spite of the eyeglass to cause him to look at her so intently it was a somewhat expurgated account of herself that hilda gave him because a certain decent reserve in her demanded that she should omit other people's agency in her circumstances whether or no he could silently supply the missing links she did not ask herself she only knew she was easing the bitter strain that had been running through her life for many years by this recounting of them to a sympathetic personality which simply existed for her in two misty dark eyes she talked to the eyes the rest of the man being but a blurred outline to her too vague to frighten her into reserve for the time indeed he seemed to her sexless but with a healing power in his voice to make her feel less of an outlaw against mere existence other customers came and went in the shop and the waitress grew tired of commenting on the couple who lingered talking so earnestly and almost forgot them it was long past six when hilda rose to go home having written her address for him in his pocket-book and with no thought save that he might perhaps help her through it they shook hands at the shop door and the man stood bareheaded with the glare of the electric light on his grey hair while the girl sprang on to the step of a passing omnibus with the facility of a londoner nous autres rather pride themselves as a rule on being able to jump on and off without stopping the vehicle flair for instance would run and jump like a monkey until told by her doctor that she positively must not to her intense disgust she had an unsound heart and weak muscles but long training had taught her to calculate to a nicety how to dodge a passing cab 
trot by the side of her omnibus outpace the horses for an instant and then spring for it it saved time in the long run and made her feel the equal of scornful man hilda's easy swing up on to the step of her conveyance and the little backward curve of her body as she turned to smile at her late companion in the doorway made her appear suddenly younger than while she talked of bitter things with a shadowed face her qualities of health and strength as well as beauty were startlingly apparent mr thorson looked as if some one had reminded him quite as suddenly that he was an elderly man as he stood for an instant swinging the eyeglass on its black ribbon they met in a desultory fashion two or three times after that and talked over what might be done to improve her position before he began to write to her it was then that she began to know and love the real man for letters are the most dangerous attraction that can be offered a woman the mere fact of his setting down his thoughts for her in black and white has a certain confidence and sacredness in it and then a woman is nearly always an idealist and would prefer to eliminate the flesh there is no shock of physical awakening in a letter and no sweet dread of touch even a lover's letters are suggestive of a man's mind rather than his body and thorson did not write as a lover he was a charming correspondent and far more accomplished in letter-writing than hilda for alas he had the drawback of his age to experience him but he seemed quite satisfied with her replies and no cloud darkened the serenity of their companionship for the first three months of the acquaintance then on a day in spring came a bolt from the blue in the shape of a kindly courteous letter suggesting that he should call and see her in her home circle and be made known to her father whether the expurgations in her accounts of herself had really deceived him she could not tell but it was the natural outcome of their growing intimacy that as a gentleman he should legitimize his pretensions to her friendship before her own people instead of leaving it on the more unconventional footing on which it had hitherto stood hilda recognized the inevitable in thorson's letter and acknowledged that had he done otherwise he would have been a different man to the friend of whom she was growing really fond but she knew also as he could not the household to which he asked so simply to be introduced mr romaine had a small house in the neighbourhood of westbourne park where he lived a shabby life on a pension derived from having been in the civil service he had retired early under a scare of heart disease and had become the shambling figure of hilda's knowledge of him browbeaten by his wife and slowly sinking lower and lower in the social scale at one time soon after his second marriage they had launched into manifold expenses and hampered themselves with debts against which they still struggled and as hilda always saw the family in her mind's eye it was a harassed underservanted life with the long-legged stepsisters growing more and more common in manners and appearance and taking the tone of the cheap schools to which they went in the neighbourhood the mere look of the house was so impressed upon her that to her dying day she shuddered at its facsimiles in suburban districts 
and they are many in london it was a semi-detached villa whose stucco front looked all the dirtier for the fact that its neighbour was rather rich in paint and hearthstone perhaps the tenant was more successful in bullying his landlord for though mr romaine also held his house on a repairing lease he never seemed able to get anything done there was a narrow flight of steps leading to the narrow front door and before the house a neglected square of garden which to hilda suggested dilapidation and poverty far more than if it had not been so pretentious and had looked sheer upon the street the internal economy of the place matched the outside for many years now they had had a succession of general servants who were first overworked and then dismissed in a passion by their mistress who being of much the same class as themselves had all the arrogance of the beggar on horseback when set in authority over them during the periods between the departure of one servant and the installation of another hilda did most of the housework with set lips and the danger signal of her warm red blood rising to her face mrs romaine undertook the cooking which she did to an accompaniment of loud grumbling usually spoiling the food and proclaiming herself as too exhausted to attempt such labour again so the family lived on cold scraps and bread and cheese until the advent of a new domestic to go through the same dreary curriculum of quarrels and dismissal etc but always whether they had a servant or no hilda laid the meals and made the beds and risked spoiling her hands with washing up it sounds perhaps a small price to pay for food and shelter but after ten years of such service with endless bickerings the most patient griselda is liable to her moments of desperation and the feelings that to clean her own boots and brush her own gowns is the one burden too much laid on her by fate and it was to this household that mr julian thorson proposed being introduced through his very usage to the customs of the finer social world hilda thought of the great composer's grey head and the delightful charm of his manner in the hideous rooms where her stepmother's taste raged triumphantly in furniture and colouring she thought of her father's nervous shrinking efforts to talk which had replaced his former natural ease and of her stepsisters giggling and whispering in corners above all of her stepmother's strident tones and the chance of her being in an ill temper in which case she would certainly be rude just to show hilda that it's no good being stuck up i'm not going to cotton to her friends that she picks up in the street mrs romaine having made her husband's acquaintance on an omnibus had always been uneasily conscious of its irregularity until she hit upon the plan of carrying the war into the enemy's country and by constant assertion had really come to believe herself that hilda's friends were never made but in the same way nevertheless the girl knew that he must come and with her lips set in an ugly line she sat down and answered his letter thanking him for the suggestion and naming sunday as the only day on which they were all sure to be at home perhaps she hoped in her heart that her stepmother might go to church and leave her father and herself to talk to the guest who thank heaven was at least not young enough to interest or attract mrs romaine 
the latter lady went to church for various reasons as when she had a new gown to display to the shopkeepers in the neighbourhood who knew her or when the girls had nice clothes or when she was so hipped with staying at home that any change was better than none she never however went without some such motive power to impel her there fate did not favour hilda or if it did it was by backhanded methods mr julian thorson called on a day when every drawback was painfully in evidence and when hilda's surroundings were certainly at their worst at least they formed a background to a very beautiful picture for the girl sat with her hands resting one in the other on her knee her face colourless and fine with suffering and something rather grand in her quiescence throughout most of his visit she introduced him to her father stepmother and stepsisters with a kind of grim amusement that had passed beyond humiliation and mr thorson had the full shock of his host's obvious uneasiness as of a servant in the presence of his employer of mrs romaine's coarse flushed assurance and of daisies and violets startling resemblance to a young lady in a tobacconist shop from whom he had chanced to buy some lucifer matches on his way there were oleographs on the walls and jingling bead curtains wherever they could be hung and many photos of mrs romaine's relations smirking at him out of gilt frames and in the midst of it all sat hilda with her tortured greek face and the warm natural colours of her face and eyes a triumphant contrast to mrs romaine's examples of artistic furnishing mr thorson looked at her desperate young beauty once and drew a breath like a deep sigh End of chapter 12 part 1